Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 21. I am excited for the conference. I can't wait to introduce Dr. Bruce Ware to you. He's a dear friend, a great, great theologian who takes great deep truths and teaches to the church. And if you have anyone in your life that um, maybe has a confusion of the role of the Holy Spirit, you want to bring them to this conference. Pay for them to come, do whatever you can to get them here because uh, he will walk us through the scriptures and you will understand the third member of the Trinity like you've never understood him before, the way the Bible intends you to know him. So I know it's going to be a great conference and look forward to us all being encouraged. Genesis chapter 21, entitled the sermon, It's a Boy, <laughs> the Son of Promise. Listen as we read along or follow along. Then the Lord took note of Sarah and as he had said... And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have nursed children? Yet I have bore him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through, your, through Isaac your descendant shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was used up, she left the boy under a, under a bush. And when she went, then she went and sat down opposite him about a bowshot away. For she said, do not, I do not... Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him um, by the hand, for I will make him a great nation Make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife from, for him from the land of Egypt. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for these Old Testament truths that we study. We know they are directly tied to the New Testament. They are part of this great biblical theology, this redemptive history that you've laid down. There are promises here of the Messiah to come and those who would have freedom in him versus the law. So teach us great things tonight. We do pray for those who could not be here. We know there's some ill, Lord. We particularly pray for Shirley tonight that you would... Um, Touch her, Lord, and heal her of her illness, Lord, and bring her back to us soon. We thank you for others that have gone through procedures, others that you've protected from procedures. Lord, just uh, be with those people who I know would want to be here tonight, but cannot, Lord. Bless our time now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we pick up our story as we left off last week. In um, chapter 20, we see really a rebuke by Abimelech, right? He's saying, why did you do this to me? You put me in a great difficult spot with your God. And, um, and it's a pretty harsh rebuke to Abraham. And then we also saw there was a clear protection of the womb of Sarah. And remember we said this, that she could have been impregnated by a pagan king twice. And yet God 
protected her. I put just that little, I went back and thought a little longer. I thought, well, how long was she there? The story almost seems that maybe she was there overnight. But then I got thinking a little farther. All of the women's wombs were closed. Well, I don't think you figured that out overnight. I think that takes a little while to realize what was going on there. And then there's one other little tidbit that I found. I noticed in the text that Abraham's flocks were moved from Beersheba, um, moved to Beersheba from uh, Hebron. And I checked that distance and I'll go, okay, there's a couple of months just right there in having to get there. So it's quite possible, quite possible that Sarah was in that harem for several months. And God protected her that whole time. Um, so uh, just something to think through a little bit because we don't, in these narratives, we always don't have the full timeline. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, but that's an interesting protection that God put on it. However, as we turn the page into 21, it seems that the couple's now understanding this absolute sovereignty of God is, is commanding and controlling their lives. And they're starting to yield to him. In fact, from here on out, we do not see a whole lot of uh, major lapses of faith in these two. Um, in fact, we see some wonderful things as we'll look at next week in chapter 22. But here clearly in this message tonight, in this text, we see the seed. Um, and that will be the blessing to all of the families of the world. And this seed is passed on from Abraham to Isaac. Now, it's important, and we're going we're gonna to finish this tonight in Galatians, but let me just read a verse. Don't go there yet because we're going to come back to this verse at the end. That we understand what this seed is. Galatians chapter 3, 16. This is the commentary, the New Testament commentary of what we're studying tonight here. says this, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. In fact, this is exactly what the Word of God says. It does not say, and to his seeds, so the promise is not, promises given here throughout the scriptures is not given to Isaac, Jacob, you know, on down through David and on the way there. It is given to the seed. There's a, there's a reason for this because faith is going to be brought through this seed. As ref, and he says, not to seeds as referring to many, but as rather to one and to your seed that is Christ. So Paul is going to take this whole testimony, we'll close with this, and look at this whole scene and say there's a difference between the law trying to get to me through the law, and he's going he's to connect that to the bondwoman, and he's going to connect to the free woman, grace and faith through Christ alone. He's going to take this whole story and blow it up into the salvation story. So it's pretty fascinating. But we want to study it in its original writing, what it's, who it was written to, how it was written at this point, what was the historical setting that was going on. So we want to look at that tonight. Now, Genesis 21 is a, is a promise fulfilled Partially, it's leading to the greater fulfillment in Christ, as we just said. But many years have passed since God first promised uh, to give Abraham a son. But he's not forgotten them. It's so important to know this. I think just from a practical aspect, we go through times where we're wondering, is God there at times? But he is. And this is a great story to remind that when he starts something, he will finish it. He does not change his mind as men do. Man changes his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Why? Because he doesn't have to. That's, that's the doctrine of immutability, right? He's perfect. He doesn't have to change because he doesn't need to change. You and I need to change. Do you know that? We need to be changing into the image of Christ daily. This is what we call progressive sanctification. He doesn't need to change. So he keeps his promise. And here Sarah gives birth to a son just as God promised. So let's look at a couple of thoughts here. The miracle baby is born, number one. The miracle baby is born. Notice this. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. There's a little phrase called there. It says, the Lord took note of Sarah. Um, several times in out, uh, through late here Christian history, a doctrine called open theism has arised. Um, I was trying to remember, where's Jason, is he in here? We were talking about it today a little bit. There's a guy named Deer and another guy, they're out of Minnesota. They tried to bring it back. It originally came up in the 50s, 40s and 50s. And basically open theism said that God really doesn't know the future. He's dependent upon events to unfold, but then he reacts perfectly. Ooh. 
Anybody got a problem with that? Um, yeah, so it came up once, got shot down in the mid-1900s. It came up again at the turn of the century, not too long ago, 90s and um, turn of the century there. And by God's grace, for the most part, it has been turned down. But it still has favor. There are still Christians. And one of the things they'll say is prayer changes things. So they tie that to open theism that you can pray and actually change the mind of God. No, prayer changes you. <laughs> and prayer changes me. God doesn't need to change. So what they do is, is attack on the immutability, the doctrine of immutability of God. Um, so we don't believe that. So, but they'll take things, this is an exact phrase, they'll use this. If you read some of their stuff, they'll say, the Lord took notice there. Oh, so we just kind of noticed her finally. So there's, that's what, this is what they would do. But that's not how the Hebrew language works. The Hebrew language, particularly in a phrase like this, is marking a direct action at, a, at an appointed time that God had laid down. So it's just the opposite of what they're saying. God had put a, this time on the eternal map from the foundations of the world that this woman would be promised a child, a son, and this day would come and she would have it. And God's marking it. He's not just, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> He's marking that. And, and then these two other little phrases here are pretty cool. As he had said, notice that in verse 4, verse 1. As he had said and as he had promised... So it can't be that God all of a sudden, oh, shoot, forgot about Sarah. <laughs> you know, oh, wow, I didn't really know that was going to happen. No, no, just as he appointed, just as he said, he came back and visited. Remember the Oaks of Mamre? He was there, and he said, this time, next year, Sarah will have a son. And there he is, showing up right on time, doing exactly what he had planned from the beginning. And aren't we glad? I mean, think about it. Aren't we glad and even a bit overwhelmed that God uh, cannot be detoured from his plans? I mean, I think that's an awesome thing. And we can, we can make some dumb mistakes, can't we, in life? And he's not detoured. I find great comfort in that. He doesn't change because, you know, we blew it. <laughs> He keeps on with his plan, and even despite our lack of faith and even disobedience, he holds his, his plan. So, he's, he's keeping things just as he promised. Now, notice um, that we see uh, promises given to Abraham and Sarah. This is just how he works, right? So, Genesis chapter 12, just a little bit of review here. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, we find the original promise of the seed and the blessing to all people. So, that's given. And there's many in between, but major promises. Chapter 13, 14 through 17 is the land promise. Go look around, see all this. Far as the east and the west, the west is north and west. This is all going to be your land. Look and see is the word. And he says, there is where he uses the term. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And so that promise is given. Chapter 15, the promise of the heir was to be his true son, not the son of a slave, but his true son. And here, saving, we believe saving faith in verse 6 is granted here. He believes the Lord and is counted for righteousness, but he's promised that the nation of Israel is going to go to Egypt for 400 years and, and plunder that nation. Isn't it interesting to see some of the details of that promise? Because that's exactly what happened when Israel left Egypt. They plundered them. Remember, they gave them all their gold and everything, and out they went. Chapter 17, the promise to Abraham as the father of many nations again. And he calls it an everlasting covenant in that promise. He rejects Ishmael because, remember, Abraham says, well, oh, if Ishmael would live for you. And he says, no. The promises with Isaac, the promises with your son, and actually names his son in that text. And then 18, there in the Oaks of Mamre, the promise in a year that they would have Isaac. And there, he says, is anything too hard for God? And that's the passage Sarah laughed in. And so we'll come to that, back to that in a moment. But let's move on. Verse 2 and 3. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time, this is God's hand in this, of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So verse 2 and 3, the promises fulfilled to Abraham. There's a larger covenant of a future redeemer underway, but this is, this is the promise of it that has come. And here he has called him Isaac because that's what God gave him the name for. 
way back before they even believed they were having son. We'll see this in a minute. I'm going to go back there because we want to figure out why they name him He Laughs. But God gave him this name. So he names the child exactly what God told him to. Verse 4 through 7. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. It's exactly what the Mosaic law will say later is a child, a male child, should be circumcised on the eighth day. They're already doing it. So the, the, God's law is already being said to these uh, early saints, and they're obeying it. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God had made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me or at me. <laughs> there's, a, there's an interesting translation there. Um, we'll talk about that for a minute. And Jesus said, who would have, um, excuse me, she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? It's a, it's a rhetorical question, right? Who would have said this? This is unbelievable. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So, so God had Abraham circumcised, just like he had his whole house circumcised. It's, and remember, there's an, that's an advanced look at the nation that God is going to set these people apart. So this is one of the, First views of what we would call sanctification, that God sets people apart. So way before there's a nation, he's already marking them through circumcision as a set-aside people. And so he does that, of course, with his son Isaac. But Abraham is diligent. It's interesting now he is very diligent to obey God and put this sign of the covenant on his child. Now, um, the issue with Abimelech may have woken him up here and he seems to be quicker to obey and everything we see now from here on out with Abraham is is pretty much instant obedience and even to the fact we'll see next week in 22 that he'll even slay his son because that's the terminology that is given he wants to obey God now and Abraham has come to that point now notice verse 5 it's been 25 years since the original promise Abraham was 100 years old now right Sarah's 90 and this son of promise is born. And the promise is now flesh and blood, right? It's, it's really, you know, for us, we kind of read through these years. You may sit down and read through this section in the morning. It's 25 years. What were you doing 25 years ago? Some of you are, may not be born. <laughs> 25 years and God has brought it. And flesh and blood is now on the ground, real time, real history. And let me tell you this, when you see the birth of this son, you know what I wrote in my notes? Jesus is coming. Because that's what this is about. This goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when the promise of a seed that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, which is Satan, right? So when we see this, when you read Isaac's birth, you can write in your Bible, Jesus is coming. Because <laughs> that's what this is pointing towards, Right? Notice in 6 and 7, this seems to be this kind of pleasant exchange of remembrance between Sarah and God. However, it might be a little more than that. Now, I want you to make some connections here. Go back to chapter 17 and 18 in your Bible. Because why is he named He Laughs? Well, I want to prove to you he's given this name long before they even believe they're going to have a son. They're still doubting, still trying to get, the, uh, maybe Ishmael will work, um, you know, maybe we can do something else that this whole thing doesn't look like it's coming together here, right? So in chapter 17, verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So there's this, there's this, um, the Hebrew word, remember we talked about this, is a laughter of, I'll never get to experience that pleasure. It's in. And then if you go across the page, possibly somewhere, um, drop down to 18.12, right? Chapter 18, verse 12. And remember, um, the, the angel of the Lord, probably the pre-incarnate Christ here, speaking, telling them they're going to have a child. This next year, she, he was going to come back. Verse 12, and it says, Sarah laughed to herself. And so the Hebrew tense here gives an idea of a mocking to that. It's really denying the Lord's ability to, 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 to be able to do that. And she says, after I become whole, should I have pleasure, um, my Lord being so old also. Speaking of Abraham. So it's interesting the terms that are used here. But now go back to chapter 17 and drop down to verse 
Uh, we'll pick up an 18. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live for you. So there's this alternative plan, right? We, remember we talked about this. God, God clearly shows us what the word of God says to do in life and godliness, right? We have good instruction. But we always want an alternative plan, right? And so Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God says emphatically, look at it in your text. What's he say? No. It's almost a shout. <laughs> no. But Sarah, your wife, will, ha- will bear you a son. Now look at this. And you shall call his name Isaac. Now they're not even believing at this point that this is actually going to happen. And God has given the name of the son. The name of the son doesn't change when you get into chapter 21 when it's born. And in here, this name, what he gave them, was the name he laughs. He laughs. And so this name was given far in advance even of Sarah's laughter. So it might be possible here in verses 6 and 7 back in 21 that Sarah is seeing God's almost a big, a kind of a big I told you so type of thing. <laughs> wow. My son is called, he laughs. My husband laughed. I laughed. I'm amazed at what has happened here. And, and, and maybe it is he told you so moment, but yet I think there's this mixture of, wow, can you imagine what people are going to say? <laughs> and don't you see that kind of in the, in the language there in verse 21? God has, verse 6, has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh. The question is whether that's a with me or at me. Um, could go both ways in the Hebrew. <laughs> Um, so, so there's a possibility that there's like, wow, yeah, this is kind of funny. Oh, this isn't very funny uh, type of thing. Um, I've heard some stories of gals getting pregnant later in life that wasn't that funny. Um, <laughs> but so it's interesting. It's a play on words here a little bit. And, um, but whatever the case, whatever, regardless of what happens here, the couple seems to understand and believe that God has fulfilled this promise. And they go on to finish well. Second thought. Drive out the bond woman here. Drive out the bond woman. Now listen to this set of verses here. Let's see if we can think through this together. The child grew and was weaned. Now, this is talking uh, about Isaac here. And Abraham made a great feast on, on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maiden and her son, for the son of this maiden shall not be an heir with my son, Isaac. And the matter dis- distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your, and, and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendant, uh, descendant shall be named. And the son of the maidservant I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. Now, this is... Uh, some interesting things that go on here, maybe a little different than our culture. Um, the weaning of a child was apparently a big deal during these ancient times. I don't know if any of you had a party when your child quit nursing, ladies. Um, and maybe you did, I don't know. We, it's a touchy subject, but, but apparently they do that in the Old Testament. He threw a great feast. It was a mark of something. Something happened here. This is a transition in life. Um, and and so here they, they have this feast. And so we go, well, how old was this child? Well, everything I could study between biblical references and extra-biblical remarks that we see in other places, I read some stuff in the Maccabees on this as well, um, just trying to understand weaning ages, um, that the age seemed to be anywhere between two and four. So how old was Ishmael there? So now you have this kid, probably two to four, that's getting weaned. There's a party going on, a great feast, because it's weaning day. Um, and uh, I know when we weaned calves, it was a great day, because we knew we were going to the market and getting money. But um, I'm not sure what this was about. Um, however, so they're having this party, and here's this Ishmael, who's mocking, the idea of the word is teasing intensely, this young little boy. All right. So how old is he? Well, I did a little math working through the scriptures. Chapter 16, verse 16, just listen. Abraham is 86 when Ishmael is born. Okay? Now, in 1725, chapter 1725, Ishmael was circumcised at the age of 13. Abraham's 100 at the birth of Isaac, making Ishmael somewhere around 14. 
Now, if he's weaned somewhere between two and four years old, he's 16 to 18 years old. So now you can kind of get the idea here of how old he is. Now, Hagar, I I thought about her just a little bit because I'm trying to figure out, one of the things that struck me about this text, let me just say this, there are so many different age groups in this text. There's little boys, there's teenagers, there's middle-aged women, there's older people, all involved in this text, and God's using them all to bring about his will. So it fascinated me. Well, I thought, well, how old is Hagar? Does the Bible say anything about her age? Most theologians said she was somewhere between 40 and 50, so I thought, let's see if we can figure this out. Um, she, she's an Egyptian slave given to Sarah. Everything I could read, she, that was maybe mid-teenage years, they would take these slave girls and they would give them to maidservants like Sarah. And probably was when he was down in Egypt, she was rewarded with this after the whole issue with the king down there. So let's say she was 15. And let's say she was 15 when she left Egypt and, and then 10 years later, we can see in the scriptures that she um, is given to Abraham for the purposes of conception. That takes another year. And then, then, then the birth comes, right? And then 13 years later, Ishmael is circumcised. And, and then another year or so before Isaac is born. And then another two to four years before Isaac is born, we put her somewhere about 42, 44 years old. Isn't it interesting how many different ages are in this thing? you got toddlers, teenagers, middle-aged ladies, and a couple old people having babies. I mean, it's, it's a crack-up when you start to look at this, how God is using all of these people. Now, and we say, well, why is this important? Because God cares. And, and, and everybody has a role that God uses to do something. Good or bad. He has his hands on all kinds of things that are going on. He's constantly involved in your life. And Hagar's an interesting story. We'll see her at the end here. She's an interesting story. I think she has actually a relationship with God. I don't think Ishmael does. I think she does. And we'll we'll see that just in a minute. Look at verse 9 and 10. Get back to our text here. Now, Sarah saw that Hagar, the Egyptian, whom, whom she had born to her son, who was born to Abraham, was mocking. Okay? And therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid, seven her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So Ishmael is probably some strapping young teenage boy, and he's mocking this little boy, right? I mean, would we not, if you go out in the hallway, we see a teenager, you know, ruthlessly te- teasing a toddler? I hope somebody would say, hey, uh, son, <laughs> come here. Um, this, this is a problem, right? So Sarah's tired of this, right? She's, she's tried to get rid of them once, <laughs> probably not in a good way, and God intervened and then promised to make Ishmael this great nation. That's chapter 16, verse 9 to 10. But remember, for many years, Hagar and Ishmael have been living the dream here. I want you to think about this. Abraham had tried to make them heirs of promise, Though God said no, so doubtlessly they were well cared for, they were well respected. Remember, Ishmael is the son of Abraham. Abraham has at least 314 guys who who went to war with five kings and beat them. There's a lot of staff around. And, and, And so Abraham's son is well, well liked. They are living the dream until Isaac's born. They're no longer the son of promise. They're no longer even the possibility of it. In fact, there's a good chance they began to be treated just like slaves again. Now, Abraham's son Ishmael was called a wild donkey, right? The Bible says he'll be called a wild donkey. And probably took advantage of that situation a little bit. He could, I mean, just my thoughts as I'm reading the text, he could have been a little spoiled, poking fun at this little kid. And Sarah had enough with that. Now the true heir of promise was here. And the pampered treatment that Ishmael and Hagar probably had was now turning to Isaac. And they're the favored ones. And this little baby, this little miracle baby, now is strong and he's beautiful and he's healthy and he's grabbing the attention of everybody in the camp. And Ishmael and Hagar are maybe returned to servant status. I I wouldn't doubt that Abraham was kind and generous to Hagar and Ishmael. It was his son. But Ishmael being that wild donkey and being a young teenage boy, inevitably his teasing doubtlessly went too far there, didn't it? And remember this. We've had this on a refrigerator or two in homes. If mama ain't happy, 
So Ishmael, hmm, you're pushing it. I wanted you guys out a long time ago, and this does it. And you go, well, man, that sounds kind of cruel, isn't it? Maybe this is unfair. But before we form our opinions of Sarah here, remember God's at work here. This life lesson is going to flow all the way to us. God, God often uses things we don't understand. Now look at verse 11 and 13. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Of his son. I mean, the statement he makes, she makes is very, um, very accurately uh, said. This, this son of the maid is not going to be equal with the heir of my son. Well, that's true. The seed of Christ was not going to come through Ishmael. And though she may not have understood all that at the time, she makes a very prophetic statement, doesn't she? But God says to Abraham and all this distress that's going on, don't stress over this. The lad and your maid, don't stress over this. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. He's working through this situation, though. For though Isaac, your descendant, well, through your, Isaac, your descendant, they should be named. So here we begin to see clearly Abraham is grieved um, by the demands of his wife Sarah. But before he can overrule it, which he might have done, before he can overrule the command, God says, wait a minute, listen to her. And it's interesting to note that, that there's a change in the word of use of God here in this text. And I came across that in the language today. Um, it's been going Yahweh, 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 Yahweh all the way down. And then we got to this verse. And it changed to Elohim. Remember, the Bible's being written um, in a language that is very descriptive. So instead of Yahweh here, all of a sudden, the term switches to Elohim. So Elohim's used quite a bit in the scriptures. I think there's probably around 2,600 times uh, that term is used. It's, it always is described really in two ways, that this is a triune Godhead and creator, or... Or it refers to him as judge over all human affairs. Which is interesting because that will be Christ someday. And so here this is a term right in the middle of this where before he's using the word um, Yahweh. Now all of a sudden uses the word um, God says here in the scriptures. Elohim says to Abraham and then he gives him this discourse. So it may be the fact that Abraham said, whoa, now God has showed me uh, a position of his that he is judging the affairs of man. Listen to your wife. I have a plan here. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool when you think about that. So clearly Abraham identifies God's hands of this. He allows Sarah's demand to be fulfilled. And though Sarah's words seem harsh, they were in fact the will of God. And in fact, Sarah's statement in verse 10 is that prophetic statement. He's not going to be an heir. So only the true heir of the promise was going to receive the eternal blessing. Third thought, God's kindness to the bondwoman. Because this looks a little rough, but we want to look what God does here with the bondwoman. Look at verse 14 and following here. So Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and gave her the boy and sent her away and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So here we, we see Hagar and Ishmael were given this fairly meager means for a, a fairly long trip, right? They're just going to go out into this wilderness and, and here we just see them wander away into the wilderness of Beersheba. And, and the adventure soon takes a turn for the worse, doesn't it? Notice verse 15. When the water and the skin was used up, she left the boy under a bush. And she, then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me hear the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Well, remember, and again, the text, the text it makes you think he's a little boy. But it isn't hard to figure out, as we did, that he's probably a teenager here. Um, and, and think about the situation. I, I thought about this. Well, God already said he was going to be a great leader. He probably had leadership skills at some level. And maybe, maybe he spent everything to try to get Hagar to their point. Maybe he, he carried her or carried everything and he was exhausted when he got there. Or maybe he was just a spoiled brat and sat down to die. I don't know. But whatever the reason is, the Bible's saying this, dehydration has taken them. 
So there could be several days now into the wilderness. The water's gone. We know that man can do about three days after that without water. He's a dead man. And so it, real, it looks as though the end is coming here. But notice God is watching. Isn't that amazing? And he already made a promise about Ishmael, didn't he? And then notice he hears the cries, verse 17. God heard the lad crying. And, and, and he already heard her cry out, right? And she sat opposite of him and lifted up her voice and, and wept. And there, just before I move on to that point, I thought about that. There's several times within the scriptures that God speaks or hears clearly Hagar. And I looked all through the scriptures. I didn't find it. Maybe you can find it. There's never a spot where Ishmael has a conversation with God. It's only Hagar. I think there's a unique relationship with Hagar and God. I, I hope, I hope, we don't have evidence in here, but I hope she had faith in God, a saving faith in God, um, because I think she was probably a, a very wonderful woman who was in a very, very difficult position. And here she cries out to him, and God is listening. And there's been many women down through the years that have found great strength in this text. When they've been in situations that have been very unfair to them. Um, that they didn't understand why God put them into that position. And yet they cried out and God made them there. I think there's a very endearing term here. But God is listening. Notice in 17 he hears the lad crying in, in, in Hagar. And he says, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do you remember I talked to you last time? Remember we met, and we're gonna, I think we're, she's probably in almost the same spot she was before. You remember last time? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. He knows where everything is. He's got his hands on all of this. He knows what's happening. And so God's watching over them, and he, res he responds to Hagar's plea. And she opens her eyes. Notice this, verse 18. Arise, lift up your head, your lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Here's that covenant that, that God had made with her about Ishmael before. Then she opened her eyes and saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave her lad drink. I don't know if this was just miraculous in the fact that he provided there. It certainly could have possibly been. A lot, of, a lot of theologians think that she probably landed right back at Bir, Bir Lehi Roy, which was the spring she was at when she first ran away from, from Sarah. But whatever the case is, Hagar and Ishmael, they survive. And notice what happens. God was with the lad and he grew, verse 20. And he went into the wilderness and became an archer. So he's skilled, right? And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife from the land of Egypt for him. So so Hagar goes probably to her own people. She's free now. She's, she's been a maiden, a slave to Sarah for all these years. She's free. So doubtlessly she returns, finds somebody in her family from Egypt and, and Ishmael marries them. According to Genesis 25, Ishmael goes on to give birth to 12 Arab nations. And most guys that I read said, if not 12, 10 of the 12 that we believe are still in the Middle East to this day. <laughs> So this has been a problem, isn't it? Well, God's in this thing. I want to show you one more thing back in verse, uh, verse 10. Turn back there. Because right in this point, I, probably some of you know this, this is the dividing line between the Muslim world and the Christian world. You realize that, don't you? Verse 10 is a difficult verse. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid, and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my, son, with my son Isaac. So right here is the dividing line where Ishmael goes one way. And the Muslim world believes that Ishmael deserved and should have all those land promises. And so that's why the war rages on there even today. Because everything that's Israel's, they believe is theirs. This is why they use terms, we will drive Israel into the sea. It's all about that postage stamp of land over there. And Israel's on just a portion of what God had promised them. But they want every square inch of that because they believe it deserved to Ishmael. Now, one of the things that we understand is the, the Muslim world um, only sees Jesus as a prophet and have no need of him as a savior. 
So they cannot see that he was the seed, the promised one, who was going to crush the head of Satan and give salvation to people. So instead of him being a savior, he's just merely a, a prophet. And even probably less than their prophet Muhammad. This is the dividing line right here in this text. And we stand here in 2018 still dealing with these issues right here. And this is where they leave our Bibles. And this is where the Quran picks up and goes from there. So it's a fascinating uh, study when you, when you want to figure out, figure out what's going on there. But at the same time, um, you understand a little bit. If you're lost, you can understand the battles that are going on over there a little bit. And we're not that we're sympathetic to sin and war and all those type of things, but they think he's the one. He's the one that deserves it all. So it helps you understand that a little bit, why that's going on. But clearly, isn't it clear, um, if you just read a little farther, verse 12, God said to Abraham, do not distress because of the lad your maiden. Whatever she Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. All the promises, the land promises, the covenant promises go through that line. Isaac, Jacob, and so forth uh, go down the line. Just something to think about there. Um, last thought. The Christocentric fulfillment of the events of 21. Well, the New Testament makes great significant applications out of this text, right? The lives of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Hagar, and Ishmael are all in the New Testament. And Abraham's identified as the father of a new nation, which is going to be called Israel soon. And he's also the example of how believers come to God. They come by faith. He looks, uh, Genesis 15, 6, he looks out his tent, sees the stars, can he count them? Um, this is going to be your descendants. He goes, I can't even get my wife pregnant. He believes God call, that God credits him righteousness. That's exactly how people get saved today. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and God accredits you his righteousness. And so he's a, see, he's a great example of how people get saved today. Isaac's a true son of the promise. And just as believers today are chosen children of the promise, so was Isaac. And we, we're chosen children of the promise of God. Ishmael is rejected, and he's rejected as a picture of the law. You come to me through the law, you will be rejected. That's of the bondservant, right? So, we, so the Bible lays this all out. And of course, Isaac demonstrates this sacrifice of, of the coming of the Lord. He, he willingly lays himself on the altar, as we'll see next week. Um, he represents those. Ishmael represents those who oppose him. Hagar is the bondwoman that, that can never give birth to the true heir. So let's look at this. We'll close with this text. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Because I want you to see that this wonderful passage that's going on in Genesis is the, one of the main doctrinal points as Paul writes the book of Galatians. And Paul is... It's amazing to think Paul is in this battle for the truth of the gospel. If you add to the gospel, if you take away from what I said, if you add or take away, no matter if it comes from angels, let that person be anathema. He's battling for the sufficiency of the gospel because if you change it, people will be lost forever. So he takes them right back to what was going on so many years ago, which they would have known as they looked at their patriarchs. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Remember, we started with this. He does not say, and to his seeds, as referring to many. So he's not saying, oh, this is promised to you. Keep all this law and you'll get there. All of the promises were going towards one person, rather to one and to your seed, that is, Christ. So the promise was made to Abraham, but it was intended to point everyone to the Messiah, right? Verse 17. What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later, after Isaac's birth, right, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So, in other words, he's saying the legal system instituted at Mount Sinai 430 years later did not replace the covenant, the promise. And that's what people today who are trying to work their way to God in some way, they say that God's promise of salvation through faith is not enough. You must do these things. He's saying this promise that was given 430 years before the law does not get undone because the law was given. He goes on farther to explain. Verse 18. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. It's really simple. 
You're either going to come by law or you're going to come by grace. If you come by law, you better keep every bit of it perfectly. Or you come by grace. And Jesus dies for you and fulfills the law for you. See, he's making, he's making a plea through this situation that we just saw in chapter 21. Notice verse uh, 20. Now a mediator is not for one party, whereas God is only one. Is the law, verse 21, then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. He says, look, the law can't make you righteous. And so many of our dear friends are trying to get to God through their own works. And, and, and here Paul's using this Old Testament lesson through Genesis 21 to say, it doesn't work. God cast out the one that's of the bond servant, that's a slave to the law. It doesn't work. He's not going to accept that. Drop down. There's so much here, but I'm out of time. Um, verse 25, but now faith has come. We are no longer under the tutor. So the law was this tutor, verse 24. The law shows you're a sinner. So that's how we use the law, brothers and sisters, to, to, to show us that a need of a Savior. It's, it's not to get to God. And, and you remember in Galatians, they received Jesus Christ. Paul came in, there was a great joy, and right after he's there, here comes the Judaizers. Oh, hey, you're Jesus, that's good, you can believe in that, but you better keep this. And Paul's going, that was a tutor. The tutor can't save you. The tutor's there to hold you. It's like having someone take care of your kids till you can get home. <laughs> They're not your kids. The law was just taking care of it for a while to see that they needed it, the true seed. And yet they made it, in so many cases, the way to God. And this is what Jesus Battle. Verse 28, if you're in Christ, you're neither Jew nor Greek. Everybody's equal, slave nor free, male or female. All are one in Christ. If you come to him through Christ alone, everyone is equal in salvation. Now, just, I'm out of time, but look at verse 21 of chapter 4. Because here's where he really gets into these individuals. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman, right? So Ishmael and Isaac here, right? Verse 23. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to what? Their efforts, right? We got to get this done. We got to please God. We got to fulfill this. We got to keep this, right? God says, no, that's not the seed. Seed's not coming through that one, right? And the son by the free woman through promise. So God has a promise for salvation. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't kind of get there by keeping this list of things. It's a promise given. Look a little further with me. Um, verse 23. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The son the woman according to the promise. Verse 24. Then the allegory, this is an allegory speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Sinai. Bearing children who are to be slaves. That, that's exactly what people are today who try to come to God any other way than Jesus Christ. They remain slaves and they're never going to be heirs with Jesus Christ. This is incredible text, isn't it? All using our story we just studied. Look at verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in, Ara in Arabah. And, and, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was everything. If you don't come to the synagogue there, you don't get to God, right? So it's representing that this falls short for, for she is the slavery, she's in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. Where faith comes from, comes from God. She is our mother. Drop down to verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Oh, brothers and sisters, you did not get to God through keeping some law to being slaves to some, some other means to try to get God to accept you. You are a child of promise. And by faith you believe, and that gives you this heirship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're joint heirs. Romans 8, 17, is it right? You're a joint fellow heir with Christ. See, this is why we hurt for those who get caught up in some kind of chore. Do this, don't eat this, don't, don't go there. Certainly don't be with those people. Don't drive at this time. Don't. All the don'ts. 
And the Bible is reminding them that they're going to get cast out. Verse 30, what does the Bible scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. See, this all ties back to Jesus saying, get them out, I don't know them. They don't belong to me. Remember in the, in the verse he says they'll come and they'll say all these things they've done and he'll say, get them out. I don't know them. See, that's why we preach grace. Grace. And every time we try to stick our hands into salvation, try to, well, maybe God's not gonna do this so we better press people or do this or have them do this, it all comes to a disaster. And pretty soon we got 12 Arabic nations trying to drive out one nation. And it just causes a mess. So verse 31, so then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but we are children of the free. And you are free if you came through grace to God. So give up your works. The end of chapter 21, you should read it. It's a pretty cool thing. Um, Abimelech gives them a bunch of stuff. Abraham gives them seven ewes back for a, a well, which is a deed contract to that land is his right in the middle of Canaan. And they don't come back for 400 and, you know, 430 plus years. Are they ever even back there? Finally with Moses and after all the elderly have died off and he brings the kids in and they take the land of Canaan. It's a fascinating little treaty that happens there. You can read it later, but uh, good stuff, huh? This is good stuff to think through. So we took a text that was historical in the Old Testament and we saw how the New Testament shows how you come to God. Abandon your works, friend. You'll never get there. You'll be cast out. Put your faith in Jesus alone. Father, thank you for a good reminder in this text. There's so many truths in here. It's, and it's just humans. Lord, you use these humans. They're, they're mean sometimes, and they're, uh, they're disobedient. And boy, sure, that sure sounds familiar about us, too. And, and there's just all kinds of ages here. Lord, you're using little kids and teenagers and middle-aged people and older people and all bringing about your will. And in the end, Lord, you use all of this to show that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. It's not of yourself, lest you dare stand before you, God, and boast that you got there. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are not born of the slave woman, born of the slave of works. We are not born again of that. We're born of a free grace given to us, not earned not gained by merit, but gained by a God who loved us and sent his son to die for us and take our sins and dress us in his son's righteousness. That are the ones, those are the ones who are the joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So Lord, may we cling to this truth, this gospel. And Lord, may we share this gospel. Oh, how many of our friends, neighbors, coworkers are lost because they think they're good. And yet they will be cast out. And so, Lord, may we constantly preach a message of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.